Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Let me talk to you. Yeah, because it is time to talk a lot of sports because there's a lot of those stories that we got to break and we got to kind of deep dive into. But after the show, Pad, we definitely want to keep the conversation going. So where are we heading to? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. Swing on over to the website. Check out the social media account links. We're updating them every day. I know that we're now on Blue Sky. So if you're fortunate enough to be on there as of right now, and obviously when Threads kicks in, we'll be jumping on there too. We definitely like to talk with everybody on every single platform. So make sure you like, follow, and, and pass it along too because we definitely like to have more people in the conversation always. Also, check out the T Public Store link. Rumor has it that there might be a sale dropping soon. No better time to go get some ODPH swag. Seriously, go uh-huh. get it when it's on sale. We yeah. encourage you. Also, check out the Patreon link. And shout out to all our amazing patrons. One tier, $2 a month. And some bonus stuff on the way. Dot, dot, dot. Also, check out the blog section, the Classifieds, which has friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcast, Dragon Master Games, Nerd Initiative, the directory, Pat. How many providers are we on? Uh, seven hundred and fifty thousand. Sounds about right to me. I don't argue with it. Pat has that stat on lock. Also, check out the music section where we have a lot of our fellow content creating friends of music, shall we say? I know I kind of used a long way to say it, but a lot of our great musician friends have new stuff coming out. Brian Wolf and the Howlers down in Austin, Texas. Shout at the Robots, Tom Jolu, Floodlands. The list goes on and on. So if you like the music you hear on the show, definitely swing on over there and follow and go get some of their music as well because they're all fantastic people. That's why we endorse them. And for anything else, honestly, if it's anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. And always remember on social media to use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off the sports edition of the show, we have to dive into a recap and then some late-breaking news involving the WWE. Mm-hmm. Because this past weekend, they took over the United Kingdom. Yes, they did. Had some very successful shows, but there was one that stood out above the rest, Pad. Yes. And that was? Uh, that would be uh, the uh, Bloodline Civil War match, which took place in the main event of the WWE's latest pay-per-view premium live event, whatever you want to call it, Money in the Bank, which took place from the O2 Arena in London, England. Yes, that's right. This is one of their marquee premium live events. That's so weird saying because I just like saying pay-per-view. Yeah. But this is one event that fans tune in for because it is a star-making moment for two superstars at least because the winners of the respective ladder matches get a briefcase that contains a contract for a guaranteed title shot in the calendar year from which they win. Mm-hmm. They can cash in at any time. They can call their shot early. They can do it when the wrestler is defeated and lying unconscious. There's been some very creative ways to cash in over the years, and obviously, knowing this going into the event, we did know that some stars would be made, some stars might fall, 
And it was definitely going to be an event to watch. So let us get into the recap, shall we? Yeah. So the uh, card opened up with the men's Money in the Bank ladder match uh, in which you had Damian Priest defeat Butch, L.A. Knight, Logan Paul, Ricochet, Santos Escobar, and Shinsuke Nakamura in 20 minutes and 27 seconds to become your Mr., or as he's calling it, Senor, Money in the Bank winner. Called this last week, and I think they made the right call. I know there is a lot of fans on the internet and on different social medias complaining that it wasn't LA Knight. Mm -hmm. But I think if you sit back and think of what would happen if LA Knight had won. Right. It would have been a great moment, but he's already over. He doesn't need the briefcase. If he had it now, there's two options that he could do. One, he could hold on to it for forever and a day. He has to go fight Seth Rollins because he's not going to fight Roman Reigns for it. Mm -hmm. In theory. In theory. And then if he doesn't cash in on Seth for whatever reason, it's all for nothing. Mm -hmm. So that said, the Damian Priest element does add a different factor. Yeah, it does. And with the storyline they're building between him and Finn Balor and what looks like the dissolve of Judgment Day. Or fracturing at the very least. Yeah, it makes a lot more sense to give him that, and then they can play off that for a while. And then if Damian wins the belt, which I think he will at some point. I don't know if he'll win it with this, but I think he's definitely going to be a world champion within the next two years. Easy. Easily. I think this makes a lot more sense to do for storyline purpose because there was only one other contender that I thought could be in the mix, Uh and that was Logan Paul. Right. As we saw during the match... It, all signs point to him and Ricochet yeah. now having an aerial combat extravaganza, if I can use Rich from 3FN's famous line. And that match is going to deliver. However, there was a spot in this match which did worry me a little bit if they do the program. I legitimately, I think I know the spot you're talking about where Ricochet uh, got dropped onto a table on the outside of the ring and it looked like he broke his neck. Yeah. I understand what they were trying to do and save the move because how they landed on the ladder was not... Yeah the right spot yeah. to the ropes. And yeah. I know they still try doing the move. It was a very dangerous spot to do. Yeah, it was. So if they try doing that again, I just hope they take a little more time and if, <laughs> get if, some practice in. If do it, it does, yeah, if, do it on the mats. If it doesn't work, don't do it. Yeah. Because that could have been serious long-term for both of those gentlemen. So yeah, definitely didn't like seeing that, but it is what it is. I mean, this does happen in matches folks. No, it does. The match was incredible. It was a great way to open the card. Agreed. I know. I know I said uh, L.A. Knight to win, but listen, I'm not upset and I'm not pissed off that Damian Priest won the briefcase. I'm 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 happy with it either way because once you saw I once the match was over, I'm like, all right, let's see where they go with this because you could do the cash in the same night like they've done in years past, and or you could do the chase and oh, the will he won't he cash in aspect of things, and we'll see where it goes. Spoiler alert: He doesn't cash in. You know, he has not cashed in as of yet. You know, but. Once the way things developed the way they did with the rest of the card and then into Monday Night Raw, it, it's going to be very interesting to see. And I'm like, all right, this is where the better story is. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Like I say, if LA Knight had won, it would have been cool. Yeah. And nothing against it. No. But I think it's a better term for the storyline they're building. And plus, he doesn't need it at this no. moment. Like, I know he's getting a lot of interesting conversations about him copying The Rock. Yeah, getting called out by folks. Yeah, which I guess I say it's wrestling. It's Well, he does emulate the voice, The Rock's voice in some aspects. Mm-hmm. But you know what? 
it's wrestling. We we've seen everything done once or twice before. Yeah, it's not the end of the world. He's getting over with the fans, and at the end yeah. of the day, that's all anybody cares about. Yep. Next up was the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship, where you had Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler defending her belts, their belts, I should say, against Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez, uh, making their return together as a tag team uh, after they had to split up briefly because Liv was injured. Uh, Match took an interesting turn because your and new women's tag team champions are Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez winning via pinfall in nine minutes and two seconds. And well, first of all, shout out Ronda Rousey with the Majin Vegeta. Okay, you uh, need to explain this because, yeah, we saw yeah, this. Yeah, so what Ronda came out with was sort of like the character Vegeta from Dragon Ball Z. Okay. But there's a portion in the anime where he gets, quote unquote, mind controlled, you know, but really not. And he becomes Majin Vegeta, and he gets this M on his forehead. That's just like a, it's like a visual cue to you, the viewer, that like, hey, this person's under the control of this enemy. Okay. So that's what she, she, obviously, Ronda Rousey, big Dragon Ball Z fan. That's what that was. So okay. shout out to Ronda for the Dragon Ball Z costume. That was incredible. Uh, marked out for that one a little bit. Uh, but no, the match took an interesting turn partway through, probably about halfway through, where uh, Ronda was in the middle of looking like she's trying to put in a submission hold. And out of nowhere comes Shayna Baszler to break it up and turns her back on Ronda, costing them the belts and allowing Liv and Raquel to become the new or regaining the women's tag team champions. It was interesting. And obviously with the quick turn Mm -hmm. of Baszler, I did not understand why, but obviously reports are leaking out that allegedly Ronda is done with WWE soon. Well, yeah, uh, the reports that came out on Monday are that Ronda, because I guess this was the plan all along, but then injuries with Ronda and everything else have kind of delayed it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it's and according to some of the reports I've seen online, it's not a when Ronda's out. No, Ronda has a hard out date that that her contract is up. She is done. And it sounds like she's not going to extend it for any purposes to help with the storyline a la like Adam Cole did uh, in the end of his run with NXT. Mm -hmm. You know, so it sounds like this was all done for the storyline of Ronda's getting ready to leave. You know, she's going to do her her part to help put Shayna Baszler over, which I'm like, hey, cool. She's going to put over somebody on her way out. That being said, nothing against Ronda Rousey. Please don't hurt me. <laughs> I I won't be sad to see her go because for me personally, the mystique of her wrestling and showing up in the business wore off very quickly after her appearance in what the 2018 Royal Rumble. You know, once once, okay. once we got out of the way, once she showed, I'm like, okay, yeah, cool, it's Ronda. Like, I'm not that thrilled about it. Yeah, I will say her run in the WWE. If this is it. Well, I, we know it's going to be it for now, but let's for say now, yeah. hypothetically that this is it. She left a lasting impression, and I think it helped and hurt in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, I agree. It brought a lot more attention to the WWE because, let's face it, she is a name. Yeah, she is. She is a celebrity in the combat sports world. Love her or hate her, she is. And her getting pushed as how she was, I think went over very mixed, mm-hmm. and I think for her entire run in WWE, yeah, it's been mixed. Yeah, it has not been good completely. It's not been bad completely. It's a business move. Yeah, and I think that now with her away from the title picture, she's getting to do what she's always wanted to do, and that was tag up with Shayna Baszler. They're tag team champions. They were eventually going to do a feud. We did know that that was something they both wanted to do at some point. Yeah. And we know that 
let's face it, she was not going to go near the world title picture for quite some time. The division, and this is a, a testament to how great things have been getting developed at WWE, mm-hmm. is arguably the strongest women's division in all of pro wrestling. I, between that and Impact Wrestling. No, I agree with that. So they have enough depth that with Ronda leaving, it's not even going to be a blip on the radar. Mm-hmm. It'll be noteworthy to fans. Yeah. But I think the best thing coming out of this is Shayna Baszler is going to get pushed to the moon. Oh, yeah. Cameron Grimes. Yeah. And I think that that's just nothing but win. Yeah. So if this is all said and done, you know, she made an impact and she left. And you, and like I say, if the lasting image is Baszler is pinning her and now onto a world title shot, all the better. It's just crazy to me that like in all of the, um, you know, big like the the three. I think she's only been in three WrestleManias um, that I can think of. You know, in, in all of the WrestleManias she's been in, none of them really stand out to me as like a highlight yeah. of the of the show. As for as big a star as she is, because I would say her showing up in WWE is a modern day version of when Tyson showed up. Okay. You know, in, in a similar sense of it brought a lot more eyes onto the product. It brought in some folks who might not normally give it the time of day. You know, it, it certainly caused a blip in the news media, you know, outside of the IWC, you know, or the the sites that cover pro wrestling. You know, it made a blip on the USA Today and, the, you know, the ESPNs and the CNNs and the CBS networks and all that other stuff, you know. But she had the first match at WrestleMania with Kurt Angle up against Stephanie McMahon and Triple H. She had uh, the following year was the triple threat with Charlotte and and Becky, and she lost. Mm -hmm. She won the first one. And then she had this one uh, uh, at WrestleMania 39 where it was the fatal four-way tag match for the tag belts uh, with Shayna up against Chelsea, Sonya, Liv, Raquel, Natty, and uh, Shotzi. Yeah. It's, It's just crazy to me that one of the, if not the biggest female combat athletes on the planet of the last 15 years doesn't have a more memorable lasting WrestleMania match. Well, you have to think about it like this, though. As far as getting into a character, and when you transition from UFC, MMA to WWE, Mm -hmm. you need to have a character there that connects with fans Mm -hmm. because that's what we always remember, the story. Right. You can have all the physical ability in the world, but you only remember the story. Yeah, that's true. So I think that was part of her game that she struggled in. Well, and I think part of it, too, was... A lot of what you saw in the ring was what you saw in like press conferences mm-hmm. and interviews after a fight in UFC. And if this was before kayfabe got broken 30 years ago or whatever it was, the character would work perfectly. Sure. But now that, you know, the quote unquote curtain is gone from, you know, in front of the stage to behind the stage. And we kind of have an idea of how things go behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we can see through some of the stuff that gets presented in front of us. Exactly. So, I, yeah, like I say, I wasn't super su- surprised, but, I mean, Ronda is a very polarizing person as well, yeah, too. I was surprised at this, the uh, turn, though, because I did not see this coming yeah, here. I didn't, but you know what? It makes complete sense, yeah. obviously, with what we, we heard is rumored to be well, happening. And, well, and we heard there was going to be a shocking finish, and that sure as shit seems to be it. Absolutely. Uh, next up was the WWE Intercontinental Championship match, where we had Gunther defending his belt against Matt Riddle, uh, and Gunther emerged victorious, submitting Matt Riddle in 7 minutes and 40 four seconds did what it needed to do yep gunther needed an opponent riddle is a, a fine plug and play yeah 
didn't need a, a ton of storyline. Didn't need though, a ton of buildup. Buildup was already there. Yep, and especially I love how they tied into what was going on with Raw with them attacking Riddle's ankle. Yep. So I thought they did yep. very good storytelling, but that's not the big takeaway from the match. No, the takeaway from the match is once it was over, they kind of pushed Riddle out of the ring, they being Imperium. And then somebody's music hits, a certain Scottish psychopath's music hit mm-hmm. that has not been seen since whatever night of WrestleMania it was, because it's two nights now. Yep. Uh, but Drew McIntyre's music hit. Drew McIntyre came out, of course, he's the subject of a lot of speculation and rumors in the internet uh, the last couple months. Uh, but he showed up, confronted uh, Gunther, kind of had a little back and forth between the two of them before you had a Glasgow kiss from, uh, from Drew to... Uh, Gunther, and then you had a Claymore kick, knocking him out, seemingly setting up a program for, I'm going to guess SummerSlam, because yikes, mm-hmm. going to be hard-hitting, uh, between Gunther and Drew McIntyre. I'm all in for it. I think it makes yeah. a lot of sense. I, I know there's been so much rumors around Drew's contract, Yeah, and I think the most consistent thing I've read concerning it is allegedly is uh, not up for another year. Mm. So we have plenty of time to get it worked out. I don't think any party is super worried right now as far as him leaving to go anywhere else. I think Drew is in a good spot with WWE and Triple H, and I think all parties involved know this, and it's just a matter of working out the dollars, which I don't think WWE is worried about not having enough to spread around. Well, and I know Triple H had something to say about this in the post-show press conference uh, where he said, and I'm reading from cagesideseats.com, he said, quote, It's always a funny thing, the amount of speculation that happens around things. I read stuff and we see stuff all the time that's printed and put out there and people say, sources say, like 75% of it is completely off base. If Drew had an issue, it's news to me, right? He just was out with an injury and getting some stuff fixed. While he was out, he had something else he wanted to get fixed, so he did it. And here he is. He's an amazing performer, one of the highlight superstars in this time frame, in this era. Thrilled to have him back, and hopefully he's here for the rest of his career. That's how I feel about it. He and I speak about it all the time. When all this stuff was coming up, it's funny. We were we talk on the phone here and there, and he'd be like, just laughing like, oh, my God, have you read this now? Mm-hmm. It's just what it is, close quote. Yeah, which, like I say, they're not worried. They'll get it hammered out. Yeah. I, I fully think that. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if there truly were some sort of division or disagreement between both parties, would he really be showing up at, at one of their pay-per-views? No, he'd be sitting there going, no, fuck you. Well, yeah, exactly. I think it was more serious than that. I mean, he's a consummate professional. Yeah. So, like I say, I wouldn't doubt him working this time through. And then they'll figure it out after. But that's yeah. the one thing that WWE has the luxury of doing. Mm-hmm. And even for Drew, because let's be honest, he can do one of two things if he decides to leave. Mm-hmm. He can go work the indies and tear it up, which he'd make a lot of money doing. Yep. Or he can go to AEW, which yep. I don't know necessarily if that's in his cards. I would think so. But hey, weirder stuff happened. True. Very true. Uh, next up was a moment uh, that wasn't unlisted on the card, wasn't uh, announced to anybody in between matches. Uh, Somebody's music hit, Ken. Bum, 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 bum. And all of a sudden, the ring was empty, and I couldn't understand why. No, no, I'm <laughs> kidding. John Cena's music hit, to the shock and surprise of a lot of people watching in the arena and at home, mm-hmm. because Cena's very busy these days, filming movies, filming TV shows, filming commercials, uh, doing a lot of uh, Make-A-Wish uh, wishes. Oh, yeah. And and Cena's music, I'm like, holy shit, he's here? 
And sure enough, there he is. He came out, and uh, to the surprise of Cena and everybody else, the crowd wasn't singing John Cena sucks, mm-hmm. as is customary. No, the crowd was actually singing his uh, song yeah. and singing the lyrics. Crowd was very hot. Shout out to the crowd. You were incredible. And as a Liverpool football club fan, uh, thank you for the Tottenham chants. Those were fucking hysterical. Nice. Just saying. Uh, but no, Cena came out and then started speaking to the crowd about how awesome they are and how great they are. And then started talking about, hey, why don't you make it known to the folks in the back that WrestleMania should come to London? And we should have a WrestleMania here in London at some point. And the crowd lost its goddamn mind. Yeah. This was a moment, I'll be honest, and I said this on 607 TWS, and, and honestly, at that moment, I thought this was more of a shot at AEW to say, like, look what we can do, more than putting a feeler out about London for, mm-hmm. for WrestleMania, which he was trying to push. I just felt like, for some reason, in his delivery, and I thought it was just more of a pandering to the crowd. See, when he came out, I thought it was just him coming out to announce the the attendance, that maybe, yeah. that maybe they had shattered some sort of record for the O2 Arena, mm-hmm. you know, as they've typically done. I know they, that he did it the one year. I know that The Rock has done it a couple of times with, like, WrestleMania and stuff. But I've, I'm like, why are they saying it? And then he started talking about bringing a WrestleMania to London, and I'm like, all right, he gets a lot of freedom to say what he was at the at, at what he wants to at this point. You know, he's in the kind of that rock status of you can say whatever the hell you want. We're not going to get mad about it. We'll worry about it later. Mm-hmm. I don't think this was him off the cuff. I think this was him genuinely like tossing the idea out there because I think it's been in the back of their mind for a while mm-hmm. that you know because this is the first uh, premium live event pay per view event in London since SummerSlam way back in the yeah, day. Yeah, since ninety two. Ninety two. The Clash of the I Castle think. doesn't count. That was in Wales, not London. Yeah. You know, but I think it's always been in the back of their mind. But it's just logistically, financially, is it feasible? So I think this was. I think it was a little bit of a shot across the bow for as much as AEW's been hyping up, and hey, deservedly so. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know they're they're close to breaking Wembley's attendance record that WWE set back in uh, for wrestling back in '92. Mm-hmm. They're they're real close. The record is like seventy nine thousand or seventy nine thousand and change, and, and they're sitting at like seventy four, seventy five. So they're getting close. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think once they started hearing that, and they started seeing, okay, you know, between this. Cardiff and, and uh, Money in the Bank, they, I think they started saying, you know what? We might be able to do this. It'd be a little bit of a uh, headache logistically mm-hmm. getting because it's, it's, it's one thing to send all the stuff from Stamford, Connecticut to, you know, Philadelphia or, sure. La- or Los Angeles. It's a whole other thing to ship that shit across the ocean, you know, but I think this was them tossing the feelers out there and basically letting the the uk government know like hey we're interested in doing this let's figure out if we can do this yeah like i say it just in the moment though it just felt like it was an off the cup throwaway Mm -hmm. so i didn't take any seriousness to it i was like i gotta feel like i don't know like i just i don't i didn't see it happening yeah and and i'll be honest about it like i say i thought it was just more wwe is bringing out all the stars to say like top this Mm -hmm. that yeah you think you're having a show at wembley and that's supposed to be a big deal we're going to one-up you because we got John Cena to show up. And I thought he just said it as a throwaway line, to be honest with you. Like uh-huh. I say, it's, it's just my feeling. Like, I just I couldn't see it happening. I yeah. couldn't. Then <laughs> we get a press release today. Yeah, we do. That says a lot more. And you know what? I My my vote has been swayed. Well, and we got a, we got a press release and I, we got an article. Uh, so the press release comes to us courtesy of the folks at WWE. And it says, for immediate release. Money in the Bank sets record for highest grossing arena event in WWE history. And then the little subtitle, 
Friday Night SmackDown at the O2 becomes highest grossing SmackDown. Uh, WWE today announced that Money in the Bank, which emanated from the O2 in London on Saturday, became the most successful and highest grossing Money in the Bank of all time. Notably, Money in the Bank set a new record for highest grossing arena event in WWE history. And Friday Night SmackDown from the O2 became the highest grossing SmackDown of all time. That's insane. The weekend generated a combined gate of more than 5.4 million dollars. Jesus. Money in the Bank also set new records for viewership, sponsorship, merchandise, and social media. Viewership jumped 17% from last year's record and surpassed the last UK premium live event, Clash at the Castle, by 30%. Wow. Sponsorship revenue was up 9% versus the record set in 2022. Money in the Bank marked the highest grossing arena event for venue merchandise in WWE history. Money in the Bank set a new record uh, for on-location fan experience packages, becoming the highest-grossing non-WrestleMania event ever. The event became the most social Money in the Bank of all time, with video views of the Bloodline Civil War match reaching 40 million in the first 48 hours, a four-times jump from the top clip at Night of Champions, Jimmy Uso super-kicking Roman Reigns. Additionally, Friday's episode on, of SmackDown on Fox drew 2.51 million total viewers, up 17% versus a year ago, and was the number one in the 18 to 49 demographic with a 0.7 rating and 897,000 total viewers, up 39% versus a year ago. Yeah. With those kind of numbers, it makes way more sense. Like I say, when Cena came out, I just thought he was throwing it around. Well, and there's there's some more to this because mm-hmm. uh, from reading from an article on comicbook.com, uh, the article pub, uh, after the first paragraph says, quote, speaking to a speaking to BBC, the British Broadcasting Company, mm-hmm. a mem- a group of members of parliament, that's the governing one of the governing bodies of the United Kingdom, want to help make WWE WrestleMania in the UK a reality. Quote, I would love for it to happen. Labor MP uh Punt Peard in Wales and co-chair of the all-party parliamentary group on wrestling, uh, Alex Davis-Jones, said uh, the APPG have already been talking about how we can help to make that happen in whatever way we can in terms of facilitating some conversations. Whatever we can do to make the UK attractive to host wrestling on the world stage, we are more than happy to help facilitate. We would use our contact and negotiating skills to try and reach out to WWE, making conversations happen, and try to promote the UK as a premier destination for world-class wrestling, close quote. Well, I mean, it is a smart business move if they're generating that much money. Uh-huh. So I can't I can't see it now not happening. Oh, it, I think the, the bit on Saturday was just like, hey, we're serious. Like, I'm sure over the course since 92, there have been talks between, you know, either Vince or Triple H or Stephanie or whoever the higher up is mm-hmm. and members of the UK government, prime ministers, parliament members, whatever, about doing it. Mm. But it's just for whatever reason, it, they never, you know, uh, came to be. Mm. But now that Cena, now that they've seen, you know, okay, AEW is able to pull it off. You know, we've we've been able to pull it off now twice with Money in the Bank and Clash at the Castle. This is I this is and I'm speaking as if I'm WWE. This is this is a lot more feasible now. 
that, hey, why don't we figure out if we can do this? And, hey, as a wrestling fan in the United States, where typically WrestleMania starts the pre-show at like 5 or 6 p.m. at 5 or 6 p.m. and it doesn't get over till midnight, shit, if you can start a WrestleMania at like 1 p.m., 3 p.m. and it's over by 8 or 9, oh, my God, give it to me. Yeah. No, I mean, like I say, with those kind of numbers now backing it, yep. yeah, that makes a lot more sense. So, like I say, just in the moment, I thought Cena just threw it off the cuff. Like I said, I just didn't really pay attention. I just couldn't see it happening. Well, and I know somebody brought up a clip from like Raw 20, in 2015 when they were in England. Yeah. And Wade Barrett came out to confront him and Cena threw out the idea of them. But yeah, that's like, like I said. A, it but fell it's like on deaf ears. But it's like, okay, 2015 is a lot different than 2023 in terms of where WWE is as, oh, a, sure. co- as a company. Sure. Like I say, Vince has never been too pro about that idea. Like mm-hmm. I said, but Cena's thrown it out there before. Like I say, I just figured he was just doing it again, just like throwing it there. But I thought it was just more of we're going to bring out all the the stars for the show because we do know AEW's coming here. Yeah. And I thought it was more of a shot. But obviously, with those numbers backing it, there's a little more weight to it than oh, what yeah. I saw on Saturday night. Like And like we know, uh, WrestleMania this upcoming year is in Philadelphia. After that, we have no idea. No, you can already mark it down as London. Oh, probably. You can, you can already Prob- mark it down after, what, uh, whatever, after those mo- numbers. Yeah. Whatever they might have had penciled in as an idea. You know, obviously, if the behind-the-scenes stuff would have worked out, yeah, that, that pencil got erased. Well, the, the issue, no, I think if anything, if they had an idea, because it always goes off for bid. Right. That price just probably doubled. Eh, easily. Easy. Easily. So we'll have to wait and see if yeah. it happens. But Yeah, we usually don't find out until like a month before the, that year's WrestleMania or a couple weeks before the, right. that WrestleMania, so it'll be a while. Mm-hmm. Next up in the card, though, was a singles matchup between um, the American Nightmare Cody Rhodes taking on uh, Dirty Dom, Dominic Mysterio. Uh, and much to our relief, thank God, uh, Cody Rhodes defeated Dominic Mysterio via pinfall in 8 minutes and 38 seconds. And I know we were predicting Brock Lesnar would show up. A lot of folks are predicting Brock Lesnar showed up. But I think once you had the Drew McIntyre return and then the John Cena appearance, yeah. it was like, okay, yeah, Brock's not showing up. Yeah, that went out the window once you saw those two show up. And this match made a lot of sense. Dom yeah. doing Dom things. Yeah. Dirty Dom. Dirty Dom. Ugh. Put it on a shirt. You, it's coming. You know it's coming, and there are gonna there is going to be a lot of people buying it. Mm-hmm. Easy. But Cody doing Cody things, looking good going into Monday Night Raw. Obviously, that's when we saw Mr. Lesnar show up. Oh, yeah, we did. So it'll be fun seeing that get set up for SummerSlam because we we've, we've said this for a while between here and mm-hmm. 617 TWS. Cody versus Brock will happen at SummerSlam. With some sort of gimmick involved. Yeah, some crazy gimmick. I'm still saying Hell in a Cell. I could be wrong. I know the dog collar match was thrown around. I don't want to see that, to be honest with you. No, but I, I wouldn't either. I, I'd much rather see a steel cage. That's that's the way I'm going. But Hell in a Cell would be the definitive thing. Yeah. Uh, next up was the women's Money in the Bank ladder match, and you had EO Sky defeat Be- uh, Bailey, Becky Lynch, Trish Stratus, Zelina Vega, and Zoe Stark in 18 minutes and four seconds to become the Ms. Money in the Bank uh, winner. Uh, and now shout out to EO Sky because she's still not catching the briefcase. She's now in the top three. Uh, length of holding the briefcase all time for WWE women. Yeah. Most of them have cashed in on the first night, in case you didn't know. Best match of the card. Yes. Hands down. Yes. Hands down. Probably, in my opinion, the best Money in the Bank ladder match between men and women all time. Uh, for the ones I've seen, I'd have to agree with you. I haven't seen them all yet. Very creative how they did it. They kept their storylines going. Did yeah. some, a lot of innovative moves. The handcuff spot with Becky and Bailey. And oh, Leo, my God. I loved it. Ingenious. 
And I love seeing that because once they didn't get locked up, I I was saying at the watch party mm-hmm. for I was like, you're gonna see Becky get locked to Trish, but like Trish will be dead weight or something, so yeah. she can't come up there. Well, and then you had the the hook spot with the the handcuffs. Oh, and, oh my god, that, ah. that was brutal. Shout out to Selena Vega. Yes, the code red with Zoe Stark on the ladder. Also, shout out to Selena Vega with some Dragon Ball Z costume of her own. Yes, she was the uh, new look Frieza's got in the Dragon Ball Super manga. Yeah. But seeing EO win, smart move. Yes. I love this. Loved it. I'm uh, curious to see who she's going to challenge. Yeah. I think it, she will challenge somebody on SmackDown. You would think. I yeah. know the the rumor is getting thrown around about the three-way between Charlotte, Bianca, and Asuka. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt that becomes a fatal four-way. I could see it a la a Seth Rollins moment, you know, where partway through the match, all, all the contestants are laying in the, in the ring or mm. out of the ring or whatever. I could see that. Yeah. I think there there would be something to that. I just don't know how much. But yeah. I would be very interested to see that. And like I say, if EO holds on to it for a while, her and Bailey, they can do the ascension of damage control. I'm perfectly fine and with also, that. And uh, also, get well soon Trish Stratish after her face got Yo. busted and she brought back the face mask. Yeah, that was a wild spot. Yeah. But that's what happens in these ladder matches. But, you know, kudos to everybody involved. Like I say, match of the night, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next up was a singles matchup for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship where you had Seth Rollins defending his belt against Finn Balor. And you had Seth Rollins emerge victorious, pinning Finn Balor in 12 minutes and 31 seconds. Obviously, there was a little shenanigans in the matchup. Uh, Damian Priest came out partway through. I wanted to watch the action at ringside, pulled up a chair, you know, almost interfered at one point while Seth was getting ready, or not Seth, Finn was getting ready to deliver a coup de grace uh, to Seth Rollins, uh, caused Finn to get distracted a little bit, Mm -hmm. gave Seth enough time to kind of recover and get out of the way before Finn could deliver the coup de grace. Uh, and ultimately, Damien Priest, for all intents and purposes, ca- ended up going back on his word with uh, Finn and costing him the match. Great storytelling. Yeah. No, this this is great. It's, so it sets up the fracture between them. And also, I think, because if you noticed kind of the way uh, Seth was looking after that spot, like he's just kind of always looking over his shoulder and he's looking real panicked and nervous. Yeah. I think we might see a Seth that like. You know, he's not nervous. He's not scared because they don't want to show him as like this coward type, but he's, he's going to be looking over his shoulder a little bit. I think so, too. And obviously with Seth being champion uh-huh. on Raw, it's added a new dynamic to the show. Right. And I honestly don't know where we're going for SummerSlam between Finn and and Seth if we are. I could see them switching up to somebody else. Yeah. Had Gunther lost, I would have said Gunther. Yeah. I yeah, would have, too. But... I don't know. I mean, this is going to be something we'll have to keep an eye on moving forward, but nothing but win here. Yeah, no, we'll see. Uh, and then your main event of the night was the Bloodline Civil War match where you had Roman Reigns and Solo Sokoa taking on Jimmy and Jay Uso, and you had the Usos emerge victorious, pinning uh, pinning Roman Reigns for the first time in three and a half years. They said the exact date count on the broadcast. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. That was Saturday. Uh, but the match went 32 minutes and five seconds. God damn. Cinema. Yeah. That's all you could describe it as. Which, uh, hey, shout out to Triple H for calling it cinema in the post-show uh, post, uh, conference. A lot of people listen to when we say this. Yeah, he, he he said, what do you, what do you, what have the kids been calling it? Cinema? Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Uh-huh. Triple H listens to uh, 607 TWS. Yes, this is true. So we just, we want to get invited to one of those media scrums. I'm putting it out there. But no, but this whole match, like I say, it's, it's hard to grade a bloodline match mm-hmm. as like match of the night because mm-hmm. the thing that Roman... And Jey Uso, especially. Yep. Solo, Paul Heyman, and Jimmy Uso are doing a great job, too. Don't get me wrong. Yep. But between Jay and Roman, 
Mm-hmm. They're they're taking the art of pro wrestling and doing something with it that very few can. Yeah. And it's right down to the mannerisms, the facial, facial expressions, yep. everything. They're literally telling the story with the body language. Yeah. And you're not seeing this a lot anywhere else. I mean, sure, wrestling does have storytelling in it oh, yeah. when it's good. But what they're doing is so masterfully done. You don't appreciate it until you can kind of sit back and watch it unfold because it's the little things they do that are really selling it to the crowd. Uh-huh. Like Roman's interactions, even when he's on the apron talking to people in the crowd. Yep. That's something notable. They'll say you, when you had the crowd at one point chanting, if you hate Roman, stand up. If you hate Roman, stand up. And he sat down. Yeah. And then the camera picked up him talk camera. They cut to a camera that was right there with Roman and Roman was talking to Paul Heyman. And he says, London is the worst. Why are we even here? Mm -hmm. Like he gets it. And you're now seeing Jay implement this. Yeah, I noticed that. And I love seeing that. He has literally, I'll I'll be honest. Jay has probably been the MVP of this entire storyline. I agree. And it's always been about him and Roman. Not Cody is a part in it. Like I say, he has a chapter. Yeah, he does. Sami Zayn has a chapter. Kevin Owens has a chapter. But when you're talking about the entire book, it's been Jey Uso the mm-hmm. entire time. Now, with Jay getting the pin on Roman, it leads to a very interesting setup for SummerSlam. It does. And I have heard a lot of the IWC come out and are saying now is the time Jey Uso needs to pin Roman for the belt. I will say this. I think the story is going to stay the same with Cody Rhodes. Yep. Because that is the long play story that they have been doing now for well over a year. Yep. And I think with Jay, it's a great story. That is. But I don't think it's going to be the one. And ultimately, at the end of the day, I maintain what I said going into WrestleMania, that to beat Roman, you need to have him. You know, no, not to you know use the metaphor, you know, the island of relevancy. But you need to have him on an island all by himself because he has built this wall between him and the opponent where, okay, you want to get to me? Mm-hmm. You got to get through the wise man. Yep. Because Paul Heyman was the first wall there. Oh, you want to get to me? Well, you got to get through the wise man, and then you got to get through main event Jay Uso. So you got the two walls there now. Mm-hmm. Oh, you want to get to me? You got to get through those two guys. Now you got to get through Jimmy. You mm-hmm. know, oh, you want to get to me? You got to get through those three guys. But, oh, now, now there's a fourth wall. There's Solo Sokoa. All of a sudden, his wall's been cut in half. Yeah. Uh, Paul Heyman's still there. Solo Sokoa's still there. So as long as... Now, obviously, Paul Heyman ain't exactly going to hit a swanton bomb or a, a full frog splash on anybody anytime soon. Unless you're playing 2K. Unless you're playing 2K. But Solo Sokoa's still there. We saw at WrestleMania. We thought he'd been taken care of and that he'd been ejected from ringside, but he still ended up you know, rearing his head and, and costing Cody the match at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Solo, so Solo's still there. I think ultimately, and I think they started to sow a little bit of the seeds in the matchup because you saw the moment in the matchup, but you notice, go back and watch, commentary never brought it up where Roman did what he said he was going to do. Spear him, stack him, and beat him. Mm-hmm. Except he didn't beat him. They kicked out. And you watch what happened there, and Roman is beside himself in agony, yep. sadness, whatever you know adjective you want to use to describe it and solo sokoa is standing there going dude i pledged myself to you i bet everything on you 
what the fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm. And Roman Reigns, who's been the head of the table, the tribal chief, the motivator, you know, the general leading his troops, all of a sudden had to get led and uh, picked up by one of his troops because he wasn't coming to. He wasn't saying, all right, no, we can't slow down. We're still in this. We got to go. Solo Sokoa had to motivate him. So I think we're going to see something at SummerSlam that's going to lead to a loss of faith from Solo. Yeah. And you might see Solo leave him. And then you might see a a singles matchup between Roman and Solo. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, at the end of the day, like I said, Roman's not going to lose until all of those walls are gone. Yeah. And and we got half of them gone. You still got Solo Sokoa standing there. Well put, Pad, because I fully agree with you. I, like I say, the Jey Uso story is going to be great. Yeah, well, And I'll even go on record and say this. When it happens, it will arguably be in the match of the year talk. Yes. Because they're going to make this into like when they face each other the first time. Way back when the yeah. start of the bloodline. Yeah, well, and, and shout out to the moment in this matchup that was a callback to their their mm-hmm. first matchup where Roman went or uh, no, Jay went to or whatever it was, it was went to pin Roman and one, two low blow kick out. Yeah. And they did the same thing three years later. Yeah. It, it's smart. It's smart. Everything the storyline does is smart. And that's why it's connecting so well. And the two leads in this are really making a point yeah. to drive this whole storyline home leading up to next year's WrestleMania, because that's where I fully believe we're going to have this finally ended. I do, too. And you know what? And we can all sit back and just appreciate it while it's here, so make sure you're giving it its flowers while it's still going. Because mm-hmm. this, I don't see how we're going to be coming anywhere close to this. No. In about a year or so. There's no way. I mean, as much as I would love to see it, I don't know. I don't see how we do this. But that's the beauty of wrestling, folks. When it's done well, it's fantastic. It crosses over pop culture, and that's what we get here. It's like Roman Reigns said at the press conference after WrestleMania. You know, you you might be used to getting fed quarter pounders with cheese, or maybe a, a McChicken or something fast food. He's like, Nah, we're giving you filet mignon. You're gonna have to wait a little bit, but it's gonna be delicious. And I will say, thus far, the meal, chef's kiss, exquisite. Absolutely. That being said, his up on that hashtag hashtag odpagepod. What is your thoughts about Money in the Bank and the WWE's Big England Weekend? Let's talk about it, shall we? And if you're looking for more pro wrestling talk, make sure to drop that follow and listen to the latest edition of 607 TWS, the wrestling show on your favorite podcast provider. We're going to be taking a quick break. We'll be right back. You ever wondered what comics Mark from Vale Mai is into? What Zach from Left Behind's favorite MCU movies are? Well, Metalcore Nerds is the show for you. My name is Sean Ma, and here at Metalcore Nerds, we cover the latest things in pop culture, whether it be Star Wars, Marvel, DC, AEW, and everything else in between. You can listen to the show every Monday on Adobe Howl at 7 p.m. Eastern, or find it anywhere you find podcasts after it debuts on the radio station. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and we have to talk some UFC. Hell yeah. There is a big card going down in Las Vegas this weekend. UFC 290, and there has been a little shakeup in the card too as well. So we need to kind of take a deep dive and see what's happening here, but there is some great main events on this one. So, Pat, let's kick it off. Yeah, so uh, the first fight we're going to mention real quickly on the prelim card, main main eventing the prelim card, which is going to be on ABC, ESPN, and ESPN+. Welterweight fight. Robbie Lawler versus Nico Price. Nico is a friend of the show. Shout out to Nico. He does follow and listen, so we do appreciate that. And him taking on a legend who this will be Robbie's last MMA fight. Yep. I fully believe this. I don't think he's coming back. I think win, lose, or draw, he's done. 
And what a career. What a legend. Yeah. I mean, if you want to talk about the fighters like Donald Cerrone and you want to talk about guys that just leave it in the cage mm-hmm. and just impose so much heart and will, Robbie Lawler is one of those fighters. Yeah, uh, currently has in 46 professional matches a record of 29 wins, 16 losses, one no contest. Very first fight was for a federation called Extreme Challenge on Extreme Challenge 39, uh, where he defeated a fighter by the name of John Reed via TKO on April 7th, 2001. Yeah. Holy shit. I mean, I even remember, too, seeing him on the Best Damn Sports Show way back when. Yeah. And, you know, when they used to do the UFC uh, fights on there. Or, yeah. Like, where he is. And you always knew when he was in a, in a fight, like, you were going to get all he had. Yeah. He's never been somebody to coast on his laurels. He's always been a fighter that just throws down and leaves it all in the cage. In his first seven fights, because I'm looking at his record here, in his first seven fights, he won six by knockout and one by decision. Yeah. No, he was a, like a phenom when he first came out. And then he started learning the ways of the fight game because mm-hmm. nobody goes undefeated forever. No. And he's had his ups and downs. He's gone through different uh, federations. I will always say this. I will never forget him and Rory McDonald. Yeah. Which is one of the most insane fights I've ever seen. Robbie had like half a lip hanging off. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it, Google the image. It's one of the greatest fights I've ever physically seen. Mm-hmm. And when he became champion, it was just like a Cinderella story. Just for somebody who's scrapped. Yeah. Like I say, it always gets thrown around the MMA world when somebody scraps. Yeah. He's been somebody that has just been such a journeyman and to finally get that title shot, get that win, and, like, honestly, writes himself into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, absolutely. E- easy. So this one's going to be a tough one for me to watch. I'm just I'm happy for both fighters. Yeah. But, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing Robbie get the dub on the way out. Uh, I'm going to say Nico. Yeah. A little spoil of the retirement there. Yeah, it could happen. I could see it. Uh, but leading off the main card, uh, you are going to have a fight in the middleweight division between Bo Nicol and Val Woodburn. Now, Woodburn is a replacement for Tresson Gore, mm-hmm. who had to bow out due to injury, Yep, I believe. Um, yeah, yeah, so according to the Wikipedia page, uh, Gore withdrew just days before the event due to a torn ligament in his wrist. Ooh, okay, that's very, very painful. Yeah, it's not fun. So Woodburn steps up 7-0 and and was originally, according to ESPN.com, supposed to fight in the Contender Series next month. Yeah, starting on uh, August 29th. Yes, so this is a big step up for him. If you have not been following Bo Nicol, uh-huh. uh he is one of the big um, fighters they're getting behind, skyrocketing. Yeah, uh, dude's only got four fights on his professional record. Yeah, but he's undefeated. He, yeah. He has not left the first round. <laughs> no. Uh, the latest he's fought, so he's 4-0. Uh, his first fight was against a gentleman by the name of John Nolan for Jorge Masvidal's Icon FC3. That was in June of 2022. Won that by knockout in 33 seconds. Then he fought uh, Zachary Borrego uh, at Dana White's Contender Series 49 in August of that same year. So literally a month later where he submitted his opponent via rear naked choke at one minute and two seconds of the first round. <clears throat> then he came back for Dana White's Contender Series 56 in September of that same year. Yeah. So he's fought fucking three fights in a row in, in four months. Yeah. Uh, where he beat his opponent Donovan Beard by triangle choke submission at 52 seconds of the first round. Uh, and then in his last fight, which is, was at UFC 285, that was back in March of uh, this year, he defeated Jamie Pickett via arm triangle choke submission. That was at two minutes and 54 seconds of the first round. 
Yeah, he's no joke. This dude's got a place to be and doesn't have a lot of time to get there, uh, so he does not wait long. His grappling is superb. And obviously being a three-time former Division I champ out of Penn State, hey. you kind of know what you're doing. Yeah. Like, uh, so I'm looking at some of his other records. He's got some medal records representing the United States. So in the under-23 World Championships uh, at 92 kilograms, he won the gold medal in the 2019 uh, Budapest World Championships. At the U.S. National Championships in 2019 in Las Vegas, he won gold medal at 92 kilograms. And then you mentioned the NCAA record. Yeah, this guy's pretty good at wrestling. Yeah, and that's, like I say, that's a strong suit. I know when we talk about sometimes grappling and wrestling, some people will think GSP and think maybe boring, you know, the lay and pray style. Dude's a blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Bo, oh, fuck. Bo is not that guy. Bo is not definitely not that guy. He is going to go for the finish early. I think Woodburn has a puncher's chance. I really yeah. do. But I think I can already tell you how the fight's going to go. He's going to go, uh, you know, try taking him down quick. Mm-hmm. He's going to take his back, and I think he's going to put him in a rude naked choke, and I think he's going to be done in four minutes. He's going to have a hell of a task because the gentleman, he's fighting Valentine, uh, Valentine Woodburn. Uh, so he doesn't have a page on Wikipedia, but I had to go to the SureDog page. Uh, so in seven prof- seven professional fights, Valentine Woodburn is 7-0. and uh, He's won one, two, three, four, five fights by either knockout or TKO. And then he's won another two fights by unanimous decision. Uh, so this dude is lethal as can get. And this is going to be a lot of folks might not pay attention to it just because they don't recognize the names. They might know Bo Nicole, but, you know, Woodburn, they might go, I have no idea who this guy is. This could be a sleeper of a fight, though. It could be. No, you're absolutely right. Woodburn has great striking. Yeah. Absolutely does. Dude knocked out five guys in a row before he went to decision. Right. But the question you have is, can he stop Bo's takedowns? Uh, I have yet to see it, so I'm going to say maybe not. That's that's the one thing. When you have such an elite wrestler like Bo, yeah. you know what you're getting. So it just depends on how good Woodburn's takedown defense is. And I don't think it's that good Like and, in comparison. like it, If he wasn't fighting somebody with the pedigree of Bo, I'd say, yeah, it's, right. it's, it's, it's up there. But to be fighting somebody that has that much of a background in grappling and wrestling – it's a tough thing for a striker to overcome. And that's going to be the question if Woodburn can do this. So, like I say, I think he has a puncher's chance. Oh, yeah, everybody's got a chance when it comes right. down to it. But I think I think he'll actually give Bo some problems getting the takedown early because of the striking, because like, yeah. you, you have to respect it. Yeah, because ultimately, to take a guy down onto the ground, you got to get within striking distance. Yeah, but I'm going to say rear naked choke, four minutes. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm going to say some a submission of some sort. Oh, I'm, you know what? I'm going to say second round. Okay. Early, early second round. Okay. Early, so this is the first time he's taking a deep water. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if he's ever faced anybody with Val Woodburn's uh, connectivity, if you will. We'll have to see. Uh, next up is a lightweight division fight between Jalen Turner taking on Dan Hooker. So this one will be exciting. This one is just going to be a good scrap. Um, Probably. You know, I like Hooker. I just... It, it's it's always tough for me because when I see fighters that can go in there and really throw it and really lay it down, mm-hmm. and then they start going on that losing streak. 
Yeah. You know, like we take a look yeah. at his record. Yeah, so uh, Dan Hooker in 34 professional matches has a record of 22 wins, 12 losses, currently on a one-fight winning streak, beating uh, Claudio Puelas via TKO, specifically a body kick. That was at UFC 281 back in November of last year. Uh, prior to that, he was on a two-fight losing streak, losing to Arnold Allen via TKO. That was uh, in March of last year. Uh, and then Islam Machekev uh, via Kimura submission. That was back in October of 2021. As for his opponent, uh, Jalen Turner, in 19 professional matches, has a record of 13 wins, 6 losses. Currently on a one-fight losing streak, he lost to Matsus Gamera via split decision. That was at UFC 285 back in March. Prior to that, good lord. One, two, three, four, five-fight winning streak, beating the likes of Brad Rydell via guillotine choke submission. Uh, Jamie Malarkey via uh, TKO. Uh, Rose Amedic uh, via rear naked choke submission. Brock Weaver via rear naked choke submission. I'm noticing a theme here. Mm. And then Joshua uh, Kulabau via TKO. Uh, so that stretches all the way back to February of 2020. And Turner is ranked 11th. Hooker is ranked 12th mm. in the UFC currently. So like I say, it's going to be an even match. Someone's making a little bit of a jump. Yeah. I, I'm Not gonna, much. I'm going to say I'm taking Turner by decision. Yeah. Uh, like I hate going against Dan Hooker. I Like I say... Always exciting in the cage, but I just think it's it's nearing that time when things start going on the decline. Yeah, he is currently 33 years old. Uh, his birthday was back in February. Yeah, which, I mean, like I say, he's not over the hill, but I think when you look at how deep that division is. Holy, well, a little bit of an age difference. Uh, his opponent is 28. Uh, he turned 28 back in May. Yeah, so it'll still be a great fight, though. Don't get it twisted. Like I say, I think it goes decision, and I don't doubt Turner taking this Yeah, one. I'm thinking the same thing. Uh, next up is a middleweight bout between Robert Whitaker and Driscus Duplessis. So this. <laughs> oh, yeah, and this one is, a, according to the Wikipedia page, is a UFC middleweight title eliminator. Yes. I always say... With Robert Whitaker, every time I think he's going to lose, he wins. Mm -hmm. And every time I think he's going to win, he loses. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying I jinx him because I actually really like Robert Whitaker. There's no question about that. Mm -hmm. But that being said, I think he's going to take Duplicis and I think he's going to just outright dominate him. Really? I, I do. Okay. Like the thing about Whitaker is. Looking at that middleweight division, mm -hmm. he is somebody that's always in that title contention. He's always just on that level. But when you start looking at who else is in those rankings, mm -hmm. then you kind of have to think, okay, can he defeat them? And who's at the top of the middleweight division? Stylebender. Yes. Israel Adesanya. So it's almost a situation of pick your poison. Mm -hmm. And I think that Whitaker, as much as I, I really do like him as a fighter, I think he's well-rounded in every aspect. I don't think he can beat Stylebender. And uh, I think he's tried once, right? At least once. That I've, well, no, he's tried twice. Uh, so the first time they fought was back at UFC 243. That was in October of 2019. Uh, Stylebender knocked him out at three minutes and 33 seconds of the second round. Second time was in 2022 at UFC 271, where that was a unanimous decision win. Yeah. So, like I say, I think the Whitaker can beat everybody else but Stylebender. Mm -hmm. And Duplicis, like, I, he's a good fighter and all. 
I'm just not impressed with him. So looking at the two records, uh, you've got Robert Whitaker, who in 29 professional matches has a record of 24 wins, five losses, currently on a one-fight winning streak, beating Marvin Vittori at his last fight via unanimous decision. That was back in September of last year. Uh, before that was a one-fight losing streak, who I mentioned was against Israel Adesanya. Uh, and then before that, it was on a three-fight winning streak, winning all three fights by unanimous decision against uh, Darren Till, Jared Canyonier, and Kelvin Gastelum. Uh, then you've got his opponent, Driscus Duplessis, which I, I was looking at this record when you mentioned I think he's going to beat Driscus, and I'm like, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because uh, in 21 professional matches, Driscus Duplessis has 19 wins, only two losses, currently on a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 fight winning streak, defeating the likes of Jolton Santos. This was for a uh, federation called KSW in September of 2019. He won that by knockout. Uh, then for another federation called EFC Africa, uh, beat a gentleman uh, with a guillotine choke submission. Then he beat Marcus Perez in his first UFC fight. That was back in October of 2020. He knocked him out. Next fight was against Trevin Giles uh, in July of 2021. 20, knocked him out. Next fight was against Brad Tavares. That was in July of 2022. Uh, unanimous decision went against him. Then he faced Darren Till in uh, 2022. Uh, where he beat him by a face crank submission. Yeah. And then his last fight was uh, against Derek Brunson at UFC 285. That was back in March, and that was a TKO due to corner stoppage. So I'm looking at this going, he is on a that-many-fight win streak. He's only lost twice. His only two losses are to a gentleman named Roberto uh, Soldich uh, via knockout. That was back in October of 2018 for that KSW Federation. And then his only other loss was in his fifth uh, professional fight against a gentleman by the name of Gareth McClellan uh, via guillotine choke submission. That was back in August of 2014. So the dude went four years between losses. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, he's no joke. But like I say, with Whitaker, I just like it's it's weird how it's broken down in the middleweight division. To be honest with you. Yeah. No, I agree. Because that's a that's a problem. Like after Stylebender, it's like who can be up there in that ranking? Can Duplicis pull this off? Absolutely. Oh yeah. He, he can, but. I like I say I think Whitaker takes this one as much as it goes against my my rule of thumb. I just think that he's so well rounded in in the matchup here. I think he's going to give Duplessis a lot of problems. So those of you betting at home, based on history, bet against Whitaker. Yeah, well, like I say, uh, Whitaker is a minus four ten. Duplessis is a plus three ten. Oh, interesting. Uh, I'm going to say Driscus, although I'm going to say it's split decision. Okay, I think it'll be close. It could definitely be close. I I don't see this going knockout or like. Uh, the only way I see a submission is if these guys go like throwing bombs at each other and tire themselves out to where it's almost a foregone conclusion that somebody's going to get a submission win. Yeah, but it'd still be a great fight, though. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, next up is the co-main event of the evening in the flyweight division where uh, you've got Brandon Moreno defending his flyweight championship against Alexandra uh, Pantoja. Yeah, this is going to be a, a fireworks absolute fireworks uh this is one that like if you got some food at your watch party get it early you got to go to the bathroom do it during the fighter introductions because folks this one is going to be quick yeah this one is not going to go to the end i will say that i think both fighters are going to be throwing haymakers the entire time yeah they are this is going to be one of those don't blink to be honest with you pantoja is great Mm-hmm. And I think he can definitely step up to the the challenge that's thrown ahead of him. Yeah. Moreno, I don't doubt at all. He is somebody that anytime that you think he's not going to do something, he does it. Yeah. And these these two fighters are more equal than I think anybody's given them credit for. Mm-hmm. And especially for the flyweight division, they're going to be buzzing around. They're going to be throwing a lot of strikes. 
it's not going to be a boring fight by any stretch of the imagination. No, God, no. I'm going to take N still, okay. but I would not be surprised if it went the other way. Okay. Um, but I will say I think Moreno will catch him with something because I think just the experience factor is in his favor. Yeah. That I think Pantoja will go for like maybe a takedown, just somewhere, something out of the blue, and Moreno will catch him. I can see it. Uh, so looking at their records uh, for Brandon Moreno in 29 professional matches, has a record of 21 wins, six losses, two draws. Currently on a two-fight winning streak, beating Devison Figueredo in his last fight. That was via TKO and specifically a doctor stoppage. That was back in January, uh, and that was for the unification of the UFC flyweight because in the fight prior to that, he knocked out uh, Kai Car France with body kick and punches back in july of last year that was for the interim ufc flyweight championship uh and then prior to that was uh three straight fights against devison figueredo he lost one won one and one of those was a draw mm. uh and then for the, his opponent uh alexandra pantoja in 30 professional matches 25 wins five losses currently on a three fight winning streak beating alex perez via neck crank submission that was back in july uh brandon royval via uh rear naked choke submission that was back in august of 2021 and then uh uh, Manel Cape, uh, the unanimous decision that was in uh, February 2021. Yeah, like I say, both fighters are no joke, and this is going to be an exciting bout. Yeah, absolutely, will be absolute fireworks. Like I said, but I'm taking Moreno. Yeah, I am too. I wouldn't doubt Pantoja getting it, but I think we're going to go into the fourth round with this one. And I think that's where Moreno catches him. Th- this is one that like I expect Moreno to win, but if it's close. It, it's, it's ultimately going to fall into that, hey, don't leave it in the judges' hands type of thing because unless it's super convincing or, or Moreno pulls something off, this could go either way. Agreed. Uh, and then in your main event of evening uh, for the UFC Featherweight Championship, you've got Alexander Volkanovsky, who, let me just check real quick, uh, number two pound-for-pound pound, uh, fighter in the UFC behind only John Bones Jones, is taking on Yair Rodriguez. Uh, so, of course, this is a unification of the UFC Featherweight Championship because Volkanovsky is the champion and Yair Rodriguez is the interim champion. Well, you got to remember, too, it went to interim when Volkanovski stepped up to 155 right. to fight Machev and almost won that in a very highly contested bout. Yep. Which we want to see ran back as soon as possible. I love to see it. So, in the meantime, Volkanovski is going back down to unify the belts with uh, Rodriguez. I'm going to be very honest about this. This fight doesn't excite me because I think it's going to be Volkanovski all day in this mm-hmm. one. And I don't have anything against Rodriguez. I'm just going to put this out there right now. But I think ever since he caught the Korean zombie with the luckiest Hail Mary backspinning elbow in the history of MMA, maybe in the history of physical contact, he has been getting lucky and where he's landed and yeah. getting wins. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm putting it out there that – for some reason, he's got it on his side. And, like, listen, more power to him. But I'm saying if you're talking about going against arguably the pound-for-pound pound best fighter on the planet, I don't think he's going to be able to pull this off. I think luck runs out. I wouldn't doubt this goes to decision, but I'm going to say unanimous decision, okay. Volkanovski. Uh, so looking at their two records, in 27 professional matches, Volkanovski has a record of 25 wins, only two losses. Currently on a one-fight losing streak, uh, losing his last fight to Islam uh, Machekov. The unanimous decision that was back in February of this year. Prior to that, he was on a good fucking god. Yeah. 
He was on a fucking a long long win streak. Let's just put, <laughs> let's just put it to you that way. His last loss was to a gentleman by the name of Corey Nelson for Australian FC uh, at their fifth fight or fifth show. That was on May tenth of twenty thirteen. Dude went ten years before he lost again. Let's, yeah. let's just round up and make it easy. Yeah. Uh, and then on the flip side, Yai Rodriguez in nineteen professional matches has a record of fifteen wins, only three losses, one no contest. Uh, won his last two fights, the first of which was against Josh, Josh Emmett. That was via triangle choke submission. Uh, he beat him. That was in February of this year. Uh, prior to that, he beat Brian Ortega via uh, TKO and specifically a shoulder injury. Mm. That was back in July of last year. His last loss came to Max Holloway via unanimous decision. Uh, that was in November of 2021. Yeah. So, I mean, that said, listen, Volkanovski doesn't lose. No. Uh, listen, it, it's it's no, it's no, nothing to slouch at. Like, okay, yeah, he lost to Islam Machekov. Islam's on a whole other level. Yeah. And and there's nothing to be upset about. Uh, but Volkanovski going to prove, hey, that was a fluke. You know, I'm still one of the baddest MFers in this uh, business. Facts. And you're all going to uh, recognize. No, I, that's, that's the whole thing. That I think Rodriguez is over his head. I think he got lucky, and I think Volkanovski is going to bring him back to earth. Mm-hmm. And I think that this one might not be as exciting as the flyway bout. I'm just going to put it out there because Volkanovski grinds. Mm-hmm. He does take downs. He tries wearing you out. If Rodriguez can hang with him, I think he'll be okay. But I don't think he's going to get the win. I th- like I say, I, I'm calling unanimous decision right mm-hmm. now. And I'm going to say just kind of temper the expectations. I hope there is a knockout. I hope there's some more fireworks to it. But I do too. I, I'll be honest with you. I don't see it. But this card, though, overall mm-hmm. looks completely yeah. stacked up. Oh, it does. So that being said, before we end the segment, there is an MMA article that came out across our wire that, mm-hmm. Pat, I know caught your attention, caught yeah. my attention. Yeah, it came across my notification from the ESPN app for me, and I went, wait, what? Uh, yeah, so reading from an article on MMAJunkie.usatoday.com, uh, the headline reads, quote, UFC vet Alistair Overeem says he decided to stop fighting after a lifestyle change led to shocking weight loss. Oh, my God. Yeah, so there's a before and after photo of uh, Overeem in his last fight and then what he looks like now. It is a stark difference. What the hell is he weighing now? Well, let's find out. Uh, so the article dated July 4th, uh, 2023, says, quote, fans apparently won't see Alistair Overeem in a professional fight again, nor will they see him bulked up like usual. That's because the UFC veteran has made some dramatic lifestyle changes resulting in his retirement from combat sports. Overeem, 43, made the announcement casually during a June 1st appearance on Love in Dubai that focused on his health. The interview resurfaced Tuesday, quote, I actually just decided to stop fighting, Overeem said. This is not my thing anymore. It's been 25 years, right? We're going to do other cool stuff now. Other cool stuff, according to Overeem, includes plans to promote health. Overeem caused quite the stir last month when a photo of him alongside Ryzen FF CEO uh, Nibuyuki Sakaki Bara Uh, made the rounds on social media. In the photo, Overeem looked shockingly thin, which led many to speculate if he was battling an illness. Uh, They then included a photo that said tweet. Uh, The article goes on to say, as it turns out, Overeem's considerable weight loss was by choice after he met a special nutritionist, uh, Julian Van Hooven, and turned vegetarian. Uh, Quote, he's like, yep, we're going to detox. I'm like a soldier, Overeem said. 
Okay, let's go. When I met him, I knew, instantly knew this guy was has knowledge. So we started working, and I started taking these supplements in a reasonably high dosage, which you can do just on uh, which you can just do on an empty stomach. And after a couple of weeks, my diet and ap- uh, my diet my appetite changed. Close quote. Overeem, who years ago admitted to having a penchant for eating horse meat, detailed how he usually would eat steak at 8 a.m. every day as part of his regiment to build muscle. But that changed rather quickly once he connected with Van Hooven. Quote, when I spoke to Julian, I asked him what's happening, Overeem said. I don't want to eat any eat my steak anymore, but I want to eat my steak because I want muscles. And he said, you had parasites in your body. We gave you the supplements. You start detoxing your body. And these supplements are just simple seaweed. Everybody could take it, and this creates an alkaline environment, which these parasites do not like. They will get hurt and die off, and once you get rid of them, your tastes change. It's not me who needs to eat meat. It's the parasites that influence me, work through me to make me think I want to eat meat, but it's not me. And once you get rid of them, you don't care, close quote. Uh, so then it goes on to talk a little bit about his career and whatnot, but yeah, uh, Overeem's done fighting and looks a real thin. Yeah. Looks good, though. I mean, he he looks like a normal human being. Yeah. I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah. I fear that I'm going to be using a lot of allegedly's. So, I'm just going to kind of cap it like this. Yeah. I I he he does look like a normal 43-year-old. Yeah, he does. He looks average size. In now. in terms of his I'll I'll say this in terms of his uh medical or nutritional training, I consult a doctor before you decide to follow suit. Uh, because what one person takes isn't for everybody. Yeah. So don't take what he says and what works for him as, you know, oh, I've been thinking about doing this myself. I'm going to go do this too. Like, no, consult your physician first. Consult a nutritionist, you know, locally, online, you know, through a a verified medical app of of some sort, you know. But, hey, you know what? Thanks for all the memories. Uh, Thanks for one of the scariest fucking knockouts of all time. Well, he was on the receiving end. No, of that. no, no, but hey, he had a part in it. Yeah, let's just say that Nganu knocked his soul, and I think it's still flying somewhere in the, in the stratosphere. <laughs> it's somewhere in the ether. Uh, yeah, but to, to see this loss, and obviously if you know his uh, history. Um, allegedly. Uh, allegedly, allegedly. Yeah, we just want to make sure about that is in there. Yeah, this yeah. is uh, it's very telling, but I, I think in all honesty it's probably smart he's out at 43 yeah let's say there ain't much more in front of him in terms of fights he did not look that good in the last times we've seen him in the ufc no and i think that this is you know if he's on to his next chapter more power to him yeah we'll just kind of leave it at that yep because like i say there'll be a lot of allegedly allegedly yeah there will be yeah so we'll just end it on this note his up on that hashtag hashtag od page pod what is your thoughts about ufc 290 Let's talk about that card, shall we? Because it's completely stacked top to bottom. And what do you think about Alistair Overeem? Any, any fun memories of fights? Yeah. I know that we'll get one from Rich from 3FN saying, Nganu knockout. <laughs> In fact, I be agree. A, a, quite a few of our ODPH Society members will be saying that as well. I agree. But hit us up, Lesno. You know we love talking that MMA talk, so we're going to continue that. But first, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, guys. It's Alan Dunford here from Top Hat Studios, co-writer and co-creator of Pocus Hocus and Grandma Chainsaw, and you guys are listening to the ODPH podcast. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast pad. 
What you got? I've oh, got a couple things to talk about, obviously, the first of which is the local minute. And uh, before we get into the Ponies games and whatnot, we've got the first of their summer movie series coming up. Hey, now. Uh, it is taking place at the Marabito Stadium in Binghamton here, where it's free admission. Uh, gates open at 7.30 p.m. The movie starts at 7.30 p.m. And Ken, I know you and a lot of people others are like, oh, I might go to that free movie. What movie are they showing? You have my attention. Top Gun Maverick. Oh, that'll be fun. Which is a fantastic movie if you have not seen it. So like we mentioned, it starts at 7.30, gates open at 6.30 p.m., free admission, traditional ballpark fare, so food, popcorn, hot dogs, you know, speedies, whatever else you got going, free parking. Uh, Chow will be there so you can make some donations to Chow like we mentioned that is taking place uh, excuse me this is the second movie the first of which was Lightyear back in June uh, but yeah this is the second one taking place the next one is uh, going to be Puss in Boots The Last Wish that's in August 12th and then the third and or the fourth and final one is going to be the new version of Disney's The Haunted Mansion which appropriately going to be during spooky season October 13th okay uh, so for more information and all that you can go to bingrp.com but like we said it's taking place this Saturday gates open at 630 Movies at 7.30. Uh, you do not need to purchase anything to come in. It's free. Parking is free. The only thing they recommend is that uh, they say on the website, quote, for best viewing experience, seating on the field is strongly, and strongly is in all caps, suggested. Blankets are encouraged. Uh, the other thing we should note about this uh, is that in the Facebook post, they do say no chairs will be permitted in the ballpark and ADA uh, compliant seating will be available. Uh, fans are encouraged to bring a blanket and or pillows. Uh, so don't bring a long chair. Don't bring an Adirondack chair. Right. Or something. Come sit on them. You're going to be sitting on the ground in the ballpark on the field. So come appropriately. Yeah, because I'm sure they don't want to tear up the field too much. Yep. Uh, so then the next, uh, so then we got some uh, games that took place from this past week, uh, specifically looking at, they had the home games against the Hartford Yard Goats. Uh, they won their game on Wednesday, the 28th, by the final score of 3 to nothing. Lost on uh, Thursday, the 29th, by the final score of 5-4. to four. Lost on, uh, what is it, Friday, by the final score of 4-3. to three. Uh, and then uh, on July 1st, they lost by the final score of 5-2. to two. Won on Sunday by the final score of 4-1. to one. Uh, The game on Monday, the th- July the 3rd, was postponed due to the inclement weather and all the rain we had coming through here uh, in upstate New York. Uh, so there was supposed to have been the bing-bang-boom, yep. you know, 4th of July fireworks show they were doing. Big-time one, yep. That has been rescheduled, obviously, because the game on the 3rd was rained out. Uh, the fireworks have been rescheduled for Friday, July 14th. Uh, so uh, mark your calendars for that one. Uh, and then specifically looking at the uh, games they got going on this week, they're out of town this week. They're up in Portland playing the uh, Portland Sea Dogs. Uh, they've lost their game on Tuesday by a final score of 7-3. to three. They've got a game on Wednesday the 5th. It was supposed to have started at 6 p.m. Uh, then they got a game on Thursday. Starts at 6 p.m. Friday the 7th at 6 p.m. Saturday the 8th at what time? 6 p.m. Uh, and then Sunday uh, the 9th at 1 p.m. They are off then for a stretch of four days, which I'm going to imagine is probably the uh, AA All-Star game. Yeah. Not listed in the schedule, but not off, and they have four days off in a row like that. Uh, and then they open the second half of their season on Friday, June 4th, or not June, uh, July 14th against a little Subway Series action. Oh, nice. The Somerset Patriots, which will be in town, which means the Martian will be in Binghamton. Ooh. Jason Dominguez, folks. Uh, if you're a Yankees fan, he'll be in the 607. Yeah, we'll definitely go check that out. Absolutely. So for more information, tickets, and all that good stuff, bingrp.com. 
Uh, then we're going to switch over to some uh, interesting stuff, specifically from the Netflix side of things. Now, I, I know there's normally with Netflix, I normally leave that for entertainment. Well, normally, yes, but this is uh, sports related. So if you're not familiar, the Untold series is coming back where it is all about, you know, sports documentaries and multi-part stuff. It's, it's some great stuff. On it's there. very great. It's a great series. If you have not seen it, definitely check it out on Netflix. Uh, but so Untold Volume 3 has got uh, three different series, or four, excuse me, four different series coming. Uh, the first of which uh, premieres on August 1st and is titled Jake Paul and the Problem Child. Uh, it says in 2013, Jake, Jake and his older brother Logan lit up social media with pranks and antics posted first to Vine and then a YouTube channel that racked up millions of views. The brothers parlayed their online success into lucrative side hustles with Jake releasing music and landing a role on a Disney Channel show. As their notoriety grew, so did tensions between the once close siblings. When Jake's real-life controversies nearly ruined his career, he got a second chance as a boxer who shocked skeptics as he knocked out one opponent after another. Untold, Jake Paul, the problem child, tells the story of a wide-eyed kid from Ohio who morphed in from internet sensation to the most polarizing man in sports. The film is built on gripping interviews with the Paul brothers, along with their parents, fans, fellow boxers, and the skeptical old guard. Uh, so that one certainly should be interesting, especially if they get into some of the stuff that happened in Japan. Yeah, I was going to say the Paul brothers and especially Jake mm-hmm. are very, very interesting characters. Yeah, they are. To say the least. Yeah, they are. And you're going to get a reaction either way. Good or bad. Uh-huh. Uh, next up is premiering on August 8th, and that is Johnny Football. Oh, this is... I. I want to see this. Uh, By the way, all these descriptions are coming from uh, Netflix.com. This one reads, quote, in 2012, the brightest star in all of all of sports was an undersized freshman quarterback, Johnny Manziel from unheralded Texas A&M, whose fervor on the field was rivaled only by his hard parting ways off it. Dubbed Johnny Football, the magnetic football player captured the nation's attention and initially relished his alter ego. Quote, I wanted to be Johnny Football. Johnny Football never had a bad time. Close quote. He says. But as the money rolled in, the scrutiny heightened, and Manziel rejected his newfound fame and suddenly lost his way. With astonishing candor, Manziel, along with his family, coaches, former best friend, and agent, details what happened behind the scenes as scandals piled up in the glare of paparazzi flashbulbs. He fumbled his shot at NFL success after the Cleveland Browns picked him in the first round of the NFL draft in 2014, but Manziel went on to search for something even greater. Close quote. That's going to be an interesting one. If Obviously, they talk about a certain party that took place in uh, a B Airbnb in Los Angeles. I'll be very interested. Yeah, same here. Oh boy, same here. Oh boy. Uh, next up premieres uh, on August fifteenth, and that one is titled "Hall of Shame." And this reads: "Quote Victor Conti's name is Ooh, synonymous oh, oh, with oh, the oh, biggest oh. doping scandal ever to rock the sports community." Ensnaring top athletes such as baseball great Barry Bonds and track and field legends Marion Jones and Tim Mo- Tim Montgomery. For 16 years, Conti claimed Balco Laboratories, his supplement and nutrition company based in the Bay Area, never dabbled in illegal performance-enhancing drugs. But by 2000, he went to the dark side and became the go-to guy for athletes in search of steroids, uh, fame, and world records. The film, uh, the film features interviews with several of Conti's notable former associates, including Montgomery, and the anti-doping and IRS authorities who helped send him to prison after a 42-count indictment who, uh, who give harrowing testimony as the legend of one of sports' most notorious names continues to unfold, close quote. Yeah, this one is going to be definitely something for all baseball fans, but, yeah. I mean, for his impact, like, if you weren't 
in the height of the steroid scandal. Mm-hmm. Like his name is always been yeah. a hot button topic in my yeah. opinion. Oh so. yeah, that's gonna be very interesting just to see what they talk about and how deep it goes. Yeah. And lastly, certainly not leastly, this is the one folks have wanted a story on for years. Swamp Kings premieres on August 23rd. No. Quote, after a blazing run in the 90s under coach Steve Spurrier, no. the University of Florida's winning streak died out by 2005. Enter Urban Meyer, the Gators demanding Give new, this to me. new head coach whose take-no-prisoner style bred not only a string of legendary victories, but also unrelenting drama that rippled well beyond the locker room. In their own words, through extensive sit-down interviews paired with archival footage, the four-part series profiles Meyer and the Titans he coached. Brandon Seiler, Tim Tebow, Brandon Spikes, Major Wright, and Ahmad Black, among many others. It gives viewers a bird's-eye view of how they catapulted the Florida Gators from underdogs to winners of two BCS national championships. Close quote. The drama behind this team, I, I apologize I was talking over you when, when you were mentioning this, but I don't think people realize. Yeah, there's some shit that this team did. Yeah. Like, for as great as this team was. Oh, boy. This is along, like, the 86 Mets kind yep. of level of mystique behind them. And, yep. And yep. I, even with Tim Tebow on there, I don't know if there's any sainthood on that team. There's really not because you had Urban Meyer and all of his transgressions and hiding transgressions. Mm-hmm. You had Aaron Hernandez, uh, who was on that team and allegedly. Allegedly, allegedly. Allegedly murdering people. Uh, you had the Pouncey brothers, Marquise and uh, Marcus, I mm-hmm. believe, believe who they are, uh, with their own antics. Uh, you had Cam Newton was on, and this is all the same team, mind you. Yeah, Cam Newton was on the team, and Percy Harvin was on the team, and they were all led by the Bible thumping, you know, God loving Tim Tebow. The story is synonymous with this team. Like I say, whenever you hear a player mentioned from the squad, mm-hmm. like there's always a reaction, like what they. There's got to be an entire episode on 2009. Yeah, like I was gonna say, like it. it it speaks volumes for itself. It's one of the biggest mysteries of all of sports. Uh huh. My God, like the fact they got them to do this. Yeah. I I need this like today. Mm-hmm. We might actually have to cover this like for a Patreon or something when it comes out. I don't like. I want to deep dive into this that's episode gonna be, when that's it happens. Gonna be wild. Uh, and then switching over to some baseball with the uh, Major League Baseball All Star Game coming up quickly. We did find out who the starters and reserves and whatnot are for both leagues. Uh, so from the American League, your starters at catcher, you've got Jonah Heim from the Texas Rangers. First base, Yandy Diaz from the Tampa Bay Rays. Second base, Marcus Simeon from the Texas Rangers. Josh Jung at third base from the Texas Rangers. Uh, at shortstop from the Texas Rangers, you've got Corey Seager. Uh, outfield, you've got Mike Trout of the LA Angels, although given what happened last night and he fractured his wrist, probably not playing in the All-Star game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you've got Randy Orozarena from Tampa Bay and then Aaron Judge from the New York Yankees. Uh, and then at DH, you've got Shohei Otani, uh, and it will, he'll be probably be batting. He will not be pitching because in that same game, Trout broke his wrist. Otani got a blister on his pitching hand, so yeah. he ain't he ain't pitching. That's out. Uh, and then for the reserves for the American League, from the, uh, the Kansas City Royals at catcher, you've got Salvador Perez from the Baltimore Orioles. You've got Aldi Rutschman. So hey, kudos to him on mm. first uh, first appearance. Uh, and then in the infield from Toronto, you've got Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Also from Toronto, Whit Merrifield. 
and then Bo Bichette, uh, and then Jose Ramirez from the Cleveland Guardians, and then Wander Franco from the Tampa Bay Rays. In the outfield, you've got Luis Robert Jr. from the Chicago White Sox, Austin Hayes from the Orioles, Jordan Alvarez from the Houston Astros, uh, Adolis Garcia from the Texas Rangers, Kyle Tucker from the Houston Astros, and then Julio Rodriguez from the Seattle Mariners. And then at DH, you've got Brent uh, Rooker from the Oakland A's. So, hey, kudos to Oakland. As shitty as your season is, you still got somebody in the All-Star game. Uh, for pitchers, uh, Shohei Otani, although, again, he said he's not going to be pitching. Garrett Cole from the New York Yankees. It's Luis Castillo from the Seattle Mariners. Sonny Gray from the uh, Minnesota Twins. Nathan Avaldi from the Texas Rangers. Kevin Gossman from the Toronto Blue Jays. Shane McClanahan from the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, Frambir Valdez from the Houston Astros, Michael Lorenzen from the Detroit Tigers, and then George Kirby from the Seattle Mariners. And for relievers, you've got Kenley Jansen from Boston, Emmanuel Clays from Cleveland, and then uh, Felix Bautista from Baltimore, and Yenner Cano from Baltimore. Uh, For the National League, uh, catcher Sean Murphy from the Atlanta Braves, Freddie Freeman from the LA Dodgers is at first, Uh, Luis Arias uh, is from the Miami uh, Marlins, Nolan Arenado from the St. Louis Cardinals. No surprise there. Mm-hmm. Orlando Arcia from the Atlanta Braves. Ronald Acuna Jr. from the Atlanta Braves. Mookie Betts from the L.A. Dodgers uh, is in the outfield. Corbin Carroll from the Arizona Diamondbacks is in the outfield. And then at DH, you've got J.D. Martinez from the L.A. Dodgers. Reserves, you got a catcher Will Smith from the Dodgers and Elias Diaz from the Colorado Rockies. Uh, in the infield, you've got Matt Olson from the Atlanta Braves, Ozzy Albias from the Atlanta Braves, Austin Riley from the Atlanta Braves, Dansby Swanson from the Chicago Cubs, Pete Alonzo from the New York Mets, Lords Guriel Jr. from the Arizona Diamondbacks, Nick Castellanos from the Philadelphia Phillies. So odds are something dramatic will be talking about being talked about on TV. Yep. When he hits a home run, he only hits home runs during those moments. And then Juan Soto from the San Diego Padres. And then at DH, you've got Jorge Soler from the Miami Marlins. Pitchers, you've got Zach uh, Gallen from the Arizona Diamondbacks. Spencer Strider from the Atlanta Braves. Bryce Elder from the Atlanta Braves. Justin Steele from the Chicago Cubs. Mitch Keller from the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, jo- Josiah Gray from the Washington Nationals. Clayton Kershaw from the LA Dodgers. And then Marcus Stroman from the Chicago Cubs. And for relievers, you've got Alexis Diaz from the Cincinnati Reds. Josh Hader from the San Diego Padres. Devin Williams uh, from the Milwaukee Brewers. Camilo Doval from the San Francisco Giants. And then lastly, and certainly not leastly, from the Pittsburgh Pirates, David Bender. Or Bednar, excuse me. Any real surprises out there to you? Not really. I mean, the fact that Texas got so many fucking starters, that was certainly a surprise. That although, was the only thing that caught me off guard. A although, bit. admittedly, they've been hitting the ball off of, they've been hitting the ball like off of a tee, it feels like, at certain points. Yeah. Uh, I So, the, Texas is the only thing that really surprised me. You know, the rest of it was kind of like, okay, yeah, because All-Star Game, for as much fun as it is, it is a little bit of a popularity contest. Mm-hmm. So, you, you typically do see a lot of the same names as you do before, you know. So, Texas was the only real thing that surprised me that, like, they got so many starters in there. I agree. Like that was the only thing that really caught my eye, my eye and my ear. Because mm-hmm. I was like, man, I didn't really think they were doing that many good numbers. But yeah. you know what? It's the one thing about the All Star Game. Like somebody's, some teams will really get a popular vote and just really swing out there. And then mm-hmm. you know, like that's the that's the one that really kind of caught me about that. Yeah. So let's end this by talking some NBA because there has been some moves that have gone on, but okay. but the biggest announcement in this free agent season has been officially Damian Lillard, the longtime point guard from the Portland Trail Blazers, who's been the most loyal player on the planet to a team, 
has f- formally requested a trade mm-hmm. because he has been waiting. In my opinion, he's been waiting so long for them to build a team around them, and for whatever reason, they can't get it done. Yeah, he knows that time is running short about getting a championship, so this seems like the best time to do this, especially when they just drafted a, a point guard in the draft. First yeah, kind of like drafting the quarterback for Aaron, behind Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, so. That being said, he is arguably the biggest uh, player that could be still moved in this offseason. So, Pad, I'm going to ask you, is there any place that you think he's going to land up at? Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. Living in New York, I'd love to see him end up on the Knicks. That, that would be Bless cool. your heart. That would be cool to see, although at this point that feels like a fever dream, like it had ever happened. Mm-hmm. But I think ultimately at the end of the day, from all the reports I've heard, it, it sounds like he's going to end up with the Heat. Well, he did request that there was only one team he wanted to go to, and that's Miami. Now, he doesn't have a no-trade clause, right? As, to my knowledge. So he is, fair game, he is fair game to go wherever. And I know the Heat would desperately – like, if he goes to the Heat, I think it's a wrap. I mean, they're my number one contenders to win the whole thing next year. Yeah. Yeah, you put Dame with Jimmy uh, Jimmy Butler. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a nasty one, too. And if Bam shows up for some games, it would make a lot of sense. The problem is, though, Miami does not have the assets that Portland wants. Uh, so according to Spotrack.com, on his under his current contract, he does not have a no-trade clause. The only thing that is in there for contract notes, designated veteran extension. Uh, it says 30% of the cap, originally reported as four-year, $196 million, but due to cap, decrease values were reduced. And then there is a 2024-25 player option with the deadline of uh, June 24th, 2026, exercised via extension. Uh, there is also an upcoming contract extension listed with for two years, $121.7 million. The only thing listed there is a player option uh, for the 26-27 season with a deadline of June 29th, 2026. So mm. it does not appear he has a no-trade clause. Right, so he's kind of at the mercy of the Portland front office. Sacramento, here he comes. No, well, no I'm kidding. No, I think, I think realistically he gets traded to the East. Th- oh, yeah, I, yeah. There's no way he's staying west. I know there was a lot of talk that he might wind up in San Antonio, which, I don't get me wrong, I think would be a great landing spot for That'd him. That'd be incredible to say. Especially Wemby there now playing. Yeah. That would that would make them an instant contender. Uh, what was it? Tim Duncan had Tony Parker. Wemby on would have Damian Lillard. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying there are parallels, but things are lining up here. Thing, things would line up. But I think, ultimately, it comes down to only a few teams that really have the – the incentives and the possibilities. Mm-hmm. Miami makes the most sense, but Tyler Hero is somebody that Portland doesn't want. So you need to get a third team to facilitate. And I don't know if they're going to find anybody in the East willing to do that, to be honest with right. you. It might be somebody else in the West, but there would have to be a lot of moving parts going on with that. Boston has been a name that's been thrown around in this mix. And obviously, with a couple of their moves they've done, I could see it happening, but ultimately, I don't think it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And then as for the Knicks, it is in the realm of thought. Sure. Because they have draft picks for days, which is something Portland loves. Yeah, this is true. But I don't necessarily know if they're going to be able to swing that in their favor because I think they would have to give up a crazy package of – R.J. Barrett, Quigley, and Evan Fournier, which I don't, I, I know they're not sold about keeping Fournier. Quigley is the only one in Barrett, too, that I think they'd be very tough to part with, but it's not out of the realm of thought. 
Well, playing with the ESPNTrade.com trade machine, uh, the trade you just mentioned, that does work. Although well, it just looks at the numbers and such, uh, you know, you can't factor in trade dra- or uh, draft picks or anything else. Just straight up players sending R.J. Barrett, Evan Fournier, and quickly to the Portland for Damian Lillard. I'm showing you the screen. This trade is successful. Yeah. So at least from that aspect, it works. And like I say, it would be big box office. I know with Brunson there, that's a nasty one-two in the backcourt. Yeah. That's a filthy one, if I can say that. But And you still have a question of what you're going to do underneath with Randall, but, mm-hmm. you, but you still have some pieces you can move around. I think if they were really serious about doing it, they could swing it. But then again, they've been tagged in this whole James Harden deal. And yeah, I've heard that too, which is interesting. Well, Harden obviously re-signed with Philly, but from what I'm hearing, it's a lot of sign and trade. Mm, but yeah, well, because he just – I know uh, Harden like at the 11th hour of when he could pick up the player option uh, before it was basically null and void. He picked up the $35 million extension. Mm. So – I don't necessarily know if that would make a lot of sense. I mean, if Damian Lillard went to Philly, that would be a huge upgrade for them. Yeah, all of a sudden, Harden's going to be real happy. Yeah, well, Harden, like I say, if he stays there, I don't doubt him moving somewhere. But it just depends now at this stage of the game. But I think you have to just realistically look at how many teams have a legit shot at Lillard. And I think it really boils down to Boston, Miami, and the Knicks. I know Brooklyn is in the in the talks, but I think they've lost enough this offseason that I don't think he's going to go there unless they're an instant contender. I As much as you might want to say differently. Right. But I think that that's the argument you're going to have there. And I think that if Brooklyn is seriously going to do something, they have to pull off some magic quickly to really establish themselves. I just don't see them doing it. I just really don't. I'm really trying to make this James Harden in New York trade uh, work with the ESPN trade machine. Uh, it's not working. No, it definitely isn't. They would. They, I've, I've given the Philadelphia 76ers four players, and the Knicks are getting one, and it still won't let me do it. It would have to be a three way deal to get Paul George. Yeah, there. Yeah, you're gonna to you're gonna crip. you're gonna need a third third team involved. Yeah, to the Clippers. Like you, you would need something weird like that. Oh, uh, let's try that. I'll, I'll play around with that. Yeah, I mean, like I say, because there's only a few teams that could do it. Inner division. I know there's been some talk about the Jazz sneaking in there somehow, some way. Which I think they could swing, but I don't see him going there. I mean, why would you go small market to small market? Right. Especially in this position. He's 33 years old. He needs to win now if he's going to win. Mm-hmm. So there's no other way to do this. So I think ultimately he is going to be the one to watch over the next couple of weeks. I don't think they're going to make any rash decisions. Right. But I think every single GM in the league is contacting Portland about how can we pull this off. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I think he comes east. I would say Miami, but and I listen. I don't doubt Pat Riley pulling some magic out of somewhere and making this happen. Right, but I just don't know if this might be too much for him to even pull off. But it's what makes it the beauty of watching the NBA offseason because now when you have a, a player of his caliber asking for a trade, and, and like listen, if anybody's mad at him that he's asked for a trade, stop. You have no right to be mad at him. Mm-hmm. He's, he has been as loyal as possible to that organization. Dude is like Matthew Stafford levels of loyal. Mm-hmm. He's never asked, even when they've been at their lowest. He's just asked them to go get him help. Yep, which realistically ain't a lot to ask for. Right. And I could see them trading him to Miami if the deal makes sense to them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, which reports are uh, Miami's basically like take whoever you want except for Bam and Jimmy Butler. Right. But it doesn't make a lot of sense for what they're offering with Hero. Like, there's nothing against Tyler Hero, but it's 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 not the same. Right. Sorry. It just isn't. But 
That's why I say we're going to keep our eyes on this. Obviously, we'll be on the social medias talking about this if he does get moved. If he does go to the Knicks, uh, I apologize for the following 24 hours after. <laughs> I, I might actually legitimately get kicked off Twitter uh, before it burns to the ground, allegedly. Um, but, yeah, the social media for the ODPH will be losing their minds, respectively, and a jersey might be bought. I'm just putting that out there. Oh, I, I guarantee that one. Yeah. I, I yeah. My, my admiration for Damian Lillard is – very very high so if he comes to the knicks it, it's yeah there'll be good times had by all so uh stay tuned for that dot 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 mm-hmm. that all being said for anything and everything that is the odph you can find it at odphpodcast.com that's all we got for sports this week so for the one and only padawan j fuck the astros i'm your host ken M. thank you as always for listening to the odph podcast better known as the ocho duro parlay hour see you next time Punch. I'm gonna beat him to the punch Cause I can't bring